nutrition, gut health, mental health, hormones, and so much more. These all play roles in sustainable weight management. So, I scour the globe for top experts in fitness, health, and weight loss to bring to you this podcast. So take a seat and enjoy the ride. So welcome to another episode of the Zico Health Show. This is your boy, weight management expert, Narado Zico Powell. And of course, I have another fantastic interview for you. Today, I have Paula Julie, functional holistic nutritionist. So when we hear functional holistic, we know we're going to talk about the whole body, right? Not just calories in, calories out, which is my personal war. You're going to love this episode. Because guess what Paula does? She helps people with chronic digestive issues using personalized, that's the key word, personalized nutrition and herbal therapy. You see, in this episode, we're going to discuss the connection between digestion and health and, of course, body weight. What foods can improve our digestive, oh, sorry about that, digestive enzymes, how our immune system and GI tract are connected, and of course, whatever crazy thoughts that comes out of my mind. And with that being said, let's get the show started. Hey, Paula, how are you doing today? Hi, Narado. I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you for taking time out of your day because this is going to be a fantastic interview and my audience is absolutely going to love it. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Now, with that being said, I know a lot about you, but tell my audience about yourself. Tell us about your journey. Tell us about your qualifications. Hi, everyone. My name is Paula. I'm a functional or holistic nutritionist. I'd like to look at the body as a whole whenever I'm working with clients. Um, I have a graduate degree in public health, so that's my focus. I specialize specifically in environmental toxins, environmental health. Um, but after my graduate degree, I decided to become certified as a nutritionist as well as a detox specialist because of my own struggles with gut health, specifically IBS. So that's where my journey started. And as I saw all the improvements um, that I was making, all the benefits that I was getting by changing my diet and supplements, um, I decided I wanted to share those tools with the world. So that's when I started coaching other people worldwide. Um, and that's what I do right now. That's uh, my current business. Perfect. I've been following your work for a while now. And that's why I had to ask you to get on the show because just every time you post something, I always take, take a step back and read it. And I always learn something different. I'm like, wow, okay, I like this. You see me commenting on yourself all the time. You do amazing work. Now, Thank you, yeah. <laughs> let's dive into the episode. Um, why is it important to focus on digestion and what roles do digestive um, proper digestion play in health and weight management? So digestion is one of the most important processes that takes place in the body. When we think of digestion, we're thinking of breaking down food so that we can use nutrients 
um, but also absorbing food. We're not what we eat. We are what we absorb. And that's a very important thing to talk about. And we're going to dive deep, um, I believe, in this interview in that topic specifically. Um, but when it comes to digestion, um, we want to make sure that you are getting all the nutrients you need. Um, the reason for that is because we need those nutrients for your organs to function optimally, for them to affect your gene expression um, positively. So nutrients are super important. And nowadays we know that a lot of us are nutrient deficient. There's many reasons as to why people nowadays are nutrient deficient. Um, one of them and the biggest one is the diet. We are eating highly processed diets, which are very low in nutrients. Um, so we are overly fed, like I say, like I like to say, but we're um, undernourished. Um, that's one of the biggest problems. Um, the other thing is, even those people that are actually eating um, very nutrient dense diets, they might be dealing with different GI conditions. Um, they can have IBS, they can have IBD, different GI distress, bloating, which indicates there's something that is not allowing them to properly digest the food they're eating and absorbing the nutrients. So it's not always about the environment, so the foods, everything that's coming in. It's also about the internal terrain, and that's something we don't talk about a lot. Um, but if there's a lot of dysbiosis, a lot of imbalances going on in your gut, chances are you're not absorbing nutrients the way you're supposed to. And that's something that you need to work on. Um, now, when it comes to um, weight management, um, it's important to notice that if you are not getting all the nutrients you need, chances are you will be craving foods nonstop because you're not getting what you need. So you will be craving foods. And if you are craving, you are more likely to make bad decisions, more likely to go for foods that are not nutrient dense. You're more likely to go for snacks, um, something quick, you know? Um, so it's important to get all the nutrients you can from your diets and even supplementation. I'm not against supplementation. I think supplementation is a great tool to actually optimize your health. Um, so if you're making all the right decisions, chances are if you're getting the nutrients and you are lowering your toxic load and you are taking care of yourself, self-care, sleeping, um, you will not be craving um, as many foods. So you will be able to maintain your weight long-term. Thank you so much for that. And I do want to elaborate on a couple of things that you mentioned. And I've talked about this on my show with my clients. So let's first talk about the nutrition piece because, yeah, we say we want to lose weight. We need to cut our calories. We cut our calories and try to drop weight. Well, what's with the biggest issue with that? You cut your calories, you also cut your nutrients. Your body needs nutrients to thrive. So that's why that doesn't work for you. Even if you're healthy and you don't have IBS and you don't have gut issues, which most of us do have gut issues on some level anyway. But let's say even if you don't in a perfect world, you cut your calories trying to lose weight, you're not getting enough nutrients. You can see how that can impact you in the long term. And that's why diets, especially when they're focused on burning more calories than you eat. That's why that doesn't work. That's why when you're on a right plan with a nutritionist who understands how digestion works, you can eat more calories than you think you're supposed to eat and manage your body weight, build muscle, burn fat, promote fat oxidation. And that's also how I train my clients as well. So they eat and love how they eat, but lose weight and feel amazing while doing it. So that's the first thing I want to tackle there. Then the cravings piece. You're not eating enough. So you start craving foods, right? You're not getting enough calories and you're not getting enough nutrition. You're, you're basically slow killing yourself while hating your life and you're craving everything at the same time. Yes. How do you think that's sustainable? That is not sustainable at all. And then there's the gut enzymes that we're going to get into next 
because then you have to have proper enzymes to break down fats, carbs, and proteins as needed. So there's so many things that go can go wrong by just focusing on calories. And that's why, again, I have Paula on the show because working with someone like her can really transform your journey. Now, yeah, you, and you may, go ahead, Paula. No, I see that all the time. I've seen clients who just cannot lose weight. I know that sounds weird to a lot of people that believe in calories in, calories out, but I've seen clients that have stubborn weight. They just cannot lose the weight and they're trying everything. They're doing all the exercises. They are not eating enough. And I think that's where the problem starts. Um, and just by me creating a foundation for them, actually teaching them how to eat a nutrient dense diet, we can start seeing that shift because you don't have as, as much stress in, anymore. Your adrenals are not under as much stress anymore. You start sleeping better. So everything just gets better. You know, your hormones start balancing. You're not craving as much food anymore. So it's not as easy to just say calories in, calories out. Sure. Um, energy cannot be created or destroyed. I absolutely agree with that. If you are in a calorie surplus, ch chances are you will continue to gain weight. There's just nowhere for that calorie, that extra calorie to go. But there are so many other factors that play a role in weight management and weight loss that people don't talk a lot about. Stress is one of them. Sleep is one of them. So these are things that we should focus on and how better to improve those things than with diet and the right lifestyle changes. Exactly. And also the math of the arithmetic of calories in versus calories out is missing a lot of things where our bodies are way more complex than that. And the arithmetic doesn't take into consideration the complexity of digestion and nutrients, which is very important. Like, for example, now, you know, I've been doing this for years and with my body, my body runs very efficiently. My gut enzymes are balanced, so on and so forth. I, never, I don't track my calories. I haven't tracked my calories in years. And one of my friends who's a bodybuilder, well, we we're talking about, you know what? I haven't done cardio in a couple of years, in a couple of months, sorry, not a couple of years, because it's a little bit colder outside and I don't want to go outside when it's cold. So <laughs> I haven't done much cardio, right. <laughs> but I do weight train consistently. But I talked to my friend and I said, I'm going to track my calories today just to see how much I actually eat. And after tracking my calories, I realized that I ate 3000 calories in a day, but I don't gain weight. Now, I that day I burned, I think it was 200 calories in my session because it was on my shorter weight training session. And I think based on my BMR, I should really be eating around, I think it's 1800 or 1900. I was at least a thousand calories over my BMR when you, when you add in my activities and everything else. And she's like, how are you not gaining weight? Because her head can't understand it. She's like eating way more than what you're supposed to be eating. But I said, that's the problem with calories in, calories out. I'm eating way more, but my body is efficient at breaking it down. And my body is efficient in because I'm eating nutrient-dense food, very limited process, maybe 10 to 15%, if that. So my body is very good at breaking down the nutrients that I'm actually feeding it. Versus there are individuals who can work out and burn all these calories and eat 1,500 but burn 2,500 and still can't gain it and still keep gaining weight because their bodies are not getting the nutrients that they actually need. So that's just a really good example of when you optimize your body, how the calories won't really matter as much. Not say it doesn't matter at all, but you don't have to track it because you focus on the nutrient and the health of your gut. I believe. I don't believe in calorie tracking. So yeah, totally support that. Now, let's dive a little bit deeper. I do have an episode on digestive enzymes as a solo show, but you as an expert, what are digestive, digestive enzymes and what roles do they play in our health? 
Digestive enzymes are proteins that the body naturally produces. Um, so whenever you're looking at the food in front of you and you start smelling it, you are signaling the body that it's time to digest. You're telling the body the food is coming in. So what's going to happen, you're going to start salivating and the mouth is going to produce amylase. This is a digestive enzyme. It breaks down carbohydrates. Now, as the food um, travels through the digestive tract, it enters the stomach area. And this is where we produce hydrochloric acid. We also produce pepsin, which is another enzyme that breaks down proteins further into amino acids. As it enters the small intestine, we have the bile ducts, which release the bile acids. And that's another important enzyme to break down fats. Uh, pancreatic juices also come in right here, where they break down carbohydrates, proteins, and fats further. Um, so they play a very important role in terms of breaking down the food in particle, into particles that you can um, assimilate and absorb so you can use. Um, the whole point is to absorb them and utilize them. Otherwise, it's worthless. Um, so they also play an important role when it comes to your health. So when we're talking of, let's say, hydrochloric acid, the stomach is your first line of defense when it comes to pathogens, anything foreign that is entering the body through the food, the air you're breathing in, the fluids that you're drinking. So it's important for that stomach acid to be optimal to make sure that all of those pathogens that are coming in, they're not crossing into the small intestine. Um, the bile acids, they do the same thing. Other than being an enzyme, they also have antimicrobial properties. So they do um, uh, kill any microbes that are traveling into, into the small intestine. Well, why is this important? Um, I do see a lot of people that have been on PPIs for many years, which means they are stopping their um, the acid from being produced in the stomach area. So what happens when there's no acid? There's pathogens that can overgrow in the small intestine because of that. So we end up seeing SIBO, small intestinal uh, bacterial overgrowth, or SIFO, small intestinal fungal overgrowth, a lot of dysbiosis going on. Um, same thing with the bile. If the bile is not flowing, if your liver is stagnant, if the bile ducts are clogged for whatever reasons, it can be parasites, it can be infections, um, and that's not flowing into the small intestine, you don't have that line of defense, which can kill the microbes, parasites, anything that is entering the small intestine. So we want to make sure all of these digestive enzymes uh, that also play other roles um, are there because they're there for a reason. Um, the stomach acid, another thing that I didn't mention, super important for um, absorbing minerals and vitamin B12. Minerals like calcium, magnesium, and other trace minerals, iron as well. Um, so that's something that I see a lot with people that have been on PPIs having mineral deficiencies. And we don't want to create more mineral deficiencies. It's really easy to be deficient nowadays. So we want to try to make sure as possible that we're absorbing everything that we're eating. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much for that share. Cause that's a little bit deeper than even the episodes I've had recently on um, stomach <laughs> acid. Uh, I, by the time this comes out, this episode is going to be at least a month ahead, but this episode with Riley Romasco and she talked about stomach acids and she's a, uh, she really got into where a lot of times people have heart, um, have um, GERD, they think it's an, or even acid reflux, they think it's an issue of having too much stomach acid. So they go on acid lowering medication. But it, what she was explaining was it's oftentimes an issue of having low stomach acid. And we don't realize that. And then we go on medication to lower the stomach acid even more. But then you get into with extremely low stomach acid, there can be nutrient deficiencies, right? And, and it can lead to small intestine bacterial overgrowth, especially if you're eating a lot of processed crap that's feeding the bad bacteria in your mm -hmm. small intestine. So it's so many things that work together. So when you just say, you know what? Exactly. You know what? I'm going to take 
Tums for heartburn, or I'm going to take something to lower my stomach acid. Well, you may already have low stomach acid and contributing to a problem that's already there because you're thinking of the symptom and you're not thinking about what's actually causing the issue. And it's when you go to your doctor and they're thinking the same thing. Let me just give you something. Maybe this will help. Maybe that will help. And in a lot of cases, what you're explaining and what Riley explained, and even Julie Davey, who's uh, who discussed, who talks about heartburn, that's one of the things that she focuses on. She explained that as well. So thank you for putting that all together because that's extremely important. Now, I want to add on to that about uh, digestive enzymes. So have you heard of the product, the product Lumen? I have not, no. I talk about it so much because I absolutely love this, this product. It's the first breathalyzer on the market that when you blow into it, it tells your body if it's burning fat or carbs. And based hmm. on, after it gets a reading, it takes about a couple of weeks to kind of identify your breath signature. And as time goes along, it they they look at what you're burning. And based on what you're burning, you have certain enzymes. So if you're a high carb burner, you might have more amylase, which is common for most humans. Because of course, you know, humans have more, born naturally more, born more amylase than any other mammals on the planet. So just... If you are a fat burner, let's say you've been on keto for a long time, you might have more lipase and fat burning enzymes. So they look at they look at that and they give you nutrition guidance so your body can develop the enzymes to break down the right foods so your metabolism become more flexible. Just everybody know my first book will be on metabolic flexibility. Don't know if it's going to come out yet, but that's what the book is going to be about. So I talked to a lot of people in that group. Um, they have a group on Facebook. It's about 19,000 people once you purchase the product. And they ask a lot of questions. I'm one of the re- reason, um, resident um, weight management ex- specialists for them. And I'll, a lot of times they ask about calories. I'm eating more calories than I'm supposed to. Or what's the science behind Lumen? What's going on? And I break, break it down to them. I said, look, this Lumen's not a diet. It's not like you're going to cut your calories and you're going to lose weight. That's not what it's about. It's about training metabolism to become flexible. So when you eat foods, it can break it all down. That's what I was talking about. I can eat over 3,000 calories and my body break down the whole thing. My metabolic flexibility is 20 out of 21. So I tell, I teach them, I say, focus on your metabolic flexibility score. As your score goes up and your body develops the right enzymes, you'll be able to break down foods, eat what you love, eat more nutrient-dense foods, have more energy and feel fantastic. And that's why I love Lumen so much. Of course, everyone knows that, listen to me, that the um, on my on Zico recommendation page, Lumen is there, the lumen.me website. The code is Zico Health to get 10% off their, off their services. And I'll make sure to put a, the link in the description of the podcast as well so you can click on that and check out Lumen. But anyone that's struggling to lose weight, I always bring that up because they talk about their approach takes on the complexity of metabolic flexibility, which is the only way really to have long-term success with managing your body weight. So everyone check that out. But outside of that, we're going to talk a little bit more about digestive enzymes. So what are some foods that can improve our digestive enzymes? So there are foods that naturally have digestive enzymes, and these types of foods include veggies and fruits. 
Now, ideally, you'd want to eat them raw because digestive enzymes are heat sensitive. Um, but when it comes to people that have digestive issues, I always tell them to stay away from raw veggies because it can be hard on the digestion to actually break them down. It can cause more bloating and distress. If you are healthy and you don't have any GI symptoms, totally fine. You can go with raw veggies. Nothing wrong with that. Um, ideally, though, you can have fruits in either one occasion. That's totally fine. Fruits um, have naturally um, occurring digestive enzymes. The ones that I'd recommend are papaya and um, pineapple, mangoes, um, avocados, bananas. Like pretty much all fruits have them, but this would be like the ones with the highest. On my on this on my Instagram as Eco Health, I'm sure you've seen it from time to time. I would post a certain fruit or a certain food and said, this helps to promote um, this certain type of enzyme, which again, mm-hmm. is important. You have to have the right enzymes. It's just really all that it really comes down to. And uh, follow Paula as well. What's your Instagram, Paula? Uh, my name, P-A-O-L-A, last name X-H-U-L-I. Check it out. Her Instagram is also fantastic. And she posts a lot of great stuff. That I said, every time I'm reading, I'm learning something different. <laughs> now... <laughs> No, thank you. Thank you. Now let's talk a little bit more about blood sugar, right? Um, Why is it important to manage blood sugar and how can supplements help us to do so? And before I answer that question, I want everybody to know we're not recommending that you take a particular supplement without working with you. There's no way to know. Do not make any dietary changes without speaking to your medical professional. This is just a general idea. Okay. But go ahead, Paula. Yeah. So any of the recommendations that that I make here or even on my Instagram, they're general recommendations because I get people asking a lot about them. Should I take this? Should I take that? Supplementation should be personalized because it really depends on what other things you're taking, what other conditions you have, how that can impact the conditions you have. So um, always personalized. Now, when it comes to blood sugar, I love this topic so much because um, I've noticed that people think that the only people that should take care of their blood sugar and control the blood sugar are the ones that have diabetes or pre-diabetes. So if you don't have any of those conditions, you don't have to really worry about blood sugar, which is not true at all. About 80% of the population um, actually has is dealing with glucose spikes on a daily basis from everyday foods that they eat, grains, cereal, whatever it is. Um, so it's super important to make sure that you're controlling those uh, glucose spikes. Every time that you're getting glucose spikes continuously, you are increasing inflammation in the body. And we know that by flattening the glucose curve, you are lowering your risk for cardiovascular disease, your risk for diabetes, your risk for obesity. Um, you improve your skin health, your hormones. So for example, for women that are dealing with PCOS, that can be super helpful. Um, it also lowers stress in the body. So if you're dealing with adrenal fatigue, also super helpful. Um, so it's something that everybody should focus on because everybody can get benefits from um, controlling their bl- blood glucose levels, even if you're not diabetic. Perfect. And I'm I, I'm glad you started with that caveat there explaining that we where we completely misunderstand the point. I did an episode, I want to say end of last year or beginning of this year with um, Emily Cornelius. And we were talking about insulin resistance because there's a, there's a, that's a step that we often miss. Before we are pre-diabetic or diabetic, you're insulin resistant and you build mm-hmm. your way up to that. Now, if you're overweight, there's a really good chance. I said a really good chance, probably 80% or more that you're insulin resistant. Because you're, because you're eating too many carbs, your insulin is 
the insulin levels are constantly high because they have they have to take that carb, those carbs and store it, right? And then convert to body fat. So it's always working. Now, my simplistic way of explaining insulin resistance is like if you have a child and they're standing up by you and they're like, mama, 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 mama. You hear it at first, but eventually you kind of tune that child out, right? So the insulin mm-hmm. is that child yelling at your body like mama or daddy, daddy. And just yelling, and eventually you don't hear them anymore. You become resistant to them, right? And that's my simplistic way of explaining insulin resistance. So yeah, there's you go to Honey Nut Cheerios, and it says, yeah, it's heart healthy. I wish that to God that they would ban that, but it says so. Thank you, the government, for that. But that's a different conversation. But you eat all these sugars and artificial flavors and possibly natural flavors that come from a beaver's butt, wherever it comes from. All this extra stuff. And then insulin is just working overtime. So even if you, you weren't insulin resistant, you, be, you start to become insulin resistant over the years, just eating all mm-hmm. this stuff. And it's not just honey nut sugars, it's all this, this juice that we drink. I, I, I don't drink juice, but if I do, it's probably going to be before I go for a five-mile run. I'm not going to drink mm-hmm. juice and sit around watching TV. I definitely don't drink soda. So they added sodas in Right. And you added the honey buns, added all that stuff. So you're becoming insulin resistant because your insulin levels are spiking consistently and yelling at your body to your body is like, okay, I don't want to hear you anymore. Then you move from that and you become a pre-diabetic. And a lot of times they don't test, doctors don't test for these things because they mm-hmm. don't see an issue, right? They, 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 there's nothing that triggers them and the test costs money. And then guess what happens? You become type two diabetic. And then the doctor's like, okay, now we got to stop pushing on medication. It might be uh, metform- metformin, it might be insulin, which is another problem, even if it's a slow-acting re- um, insulin, not telling anybody to stop taking insulin, that's not what I'm saying, but it can then become an issue because you're screaming at your body more and more because you're taking more insulin instead of dealing with the underlying issue that's causing you to be diabetic. So that's why controlling your blood sugar is so important. And then you're talking about stress, right? I've talked about it a million times that how stress can raise your blood sugar, why meditation is so important. Walking before or after you can also can help with your digestion, but also help to keep your your in your blood sugar steady. You know, um, the proper training, instead of doing high intensity all the time, weight training has such a huge role in that. Slow zone two type training that I've talked about a million times. All these things play such an important role. So thank you so much, Paula. Yeah, so if we saw two different spikes, glucose spikes, um, from the same type of food, if you were under stress, that spike would be much higher than the other one if you were not under stress. So that's how stress can really impact the glucose spike, something that we don't talk enough about. Uh, but also another thing that you also mentioned, um, these thing, things take time to occur. You don't develop chronic disease overnight. That's something that you develop for years like it's it's going on for a while like something things need to go wrong in the body for many many years for you to develop something and when you are tested at the doctor's office one thing that we don't talk a lot about is that they use pathological ranges which means they're not comparing you to a healthy adult population they're comparing you to sick populations so that's another thing you know super important as well like for example, when I uh, do tests, I always use functional ranges because I want to make sure that we're preventing stuff. I don't want to see you, you know, I, I don't want to see you when you've already developed diabetes. That's not my goal. My goal is to prevent you from even like developing diabetes. Um, now, one thing that I didn't talk about, the supplements. Um, 
super important for to control your blood sugar. Um, one thing that I would recommend is making sure that you are getting enough minerals in your diet. There are two important ones that I highly recommend, magnesium and chromium. Both of them really help with stabilizing your blood sugar, but chromium specifically can help with lowering HbA1c, which is a marker for prediabetes and diabetes. Um, so those two are super important and most people are deficient, especially in magnesium. So that's one thing that um, we should focus on, especially because of stress. Stress just burns magnesium like crazy. So we want to make sure we're always replenishing that. Um, the other thing would be berberine, very similar to metformin. Um, it's an herbal supplement you can get over the counter um, and it is very potent. It, it can actually lower your blood sugar. It's hypoglycemic. Um, and lastly, the one that I would recommend would be adaptogens. Um, this might come as a surprise, but I really believe that we, if we become better at handling stress, because adaptogens will not, um, they, all they're going to do is make you better at um, how you respond to stress. It's not like they will remove stress from your life. Stress is always there, but you become better at dealing with stress. Um, as long as, the more you get better at that, the more likely you are that you will not respond the same way. Your insulin spikes, uh, the, your glucose spikes will not be as high. You will respond much better to your insulin. So getting adaptogens like ashwagandha, holy basil, rhodiola, they will support your adrenals, your stress response, and super helpful for blood sugar control. So please, everyone, um, follow Paula's Instagram because she posts about these things all the time. <laughs> and then it's so easy to get in touch with her because... I love that list. Thank you so much. And go and go back and listen to those last couple of minutes. Stop, rewind, and listen to that again, especially if you struggle with blood sugar control, because that is fantastic. Again, don't make any dietary changes without speaking to your medical professional. But that's those are just some things to consider. So thank you so much, Paula. That was fantastic. Now You're welcome. <laughs> continuing with stress, right? We're talking about we know the importance of sleep. So, and we know how important it is for your circadian rhythm, reducing stress or help you to, to manage to manage stress better, insulin resistance, so on and so forth. So what are some basic things that we can do to improve our sleep quality? Sleep is my favorite topic. Um, I love to sleep. I love to get good quality sleep. I make sure every time I work with clients that we really focus on sleep because sleep is what is going to help you heal. This is the time when your body is regenerating, it's healing, you are in recovery mode. So we want to make sure you're getting that deep sleep, that REM sleep, super important. Um, now, um, a lot of people are proud for not getting enough sleep. Like for some reason, there, there's this pride that like, Oh, I just sleep four hours and I'm good. Like, no, you're doing a disservice to your body. I, I don't agree with that at all. Sleep is super important. Um, it's important in many ways. It, it is associated with um, low risk of cardiovascular disease, diabetes, obesity, um, low life expectancies. So all of those things. So there, there's one way to look at it. The other way that I really like to talk about, because a lot of people don't talk about enough, is the glymphatic system. Um, and for all of you guys that are not familiar with what that is, that is the lymphatic system of the brain. It is responsible for removing toxins from the brain into the lymph, so draining them into the lymphatic system, and then eliminating them through your stool. So if you are not sleeping, you're not allowing the glymphatic system to do its job. The only time when the glymphatic system becomes activated is during sleep. Um, and if you are not allowing it to do its job, what you're doing is allowing those toxins to build up. And we know we are exposed to environmental toxins on a daily basis. It's just impossible to, um, 
remove or uh, remove yourself from all these exposures 100%. But what we can do is optimize our detoxification pathways that already exist in the body. And the glymphatic system is one of them. Um, so when you are allowing these toxins to build up, what's going to happen is you're going to be experiencing brain fog, which is so big nowadays. And it becomes it has become this normal thing. But it's not normal. You shouldn't be experiencing brain fog. Uh, forgetfulness is another thing. Um, lack of focus, um, retaining information becomes much harder. So all of those things can be a sign that you're not getting enough sleep. You're not allowing the brain to actually drain and remove all of those toxins while you're sleeping. Um, so we want to make sure, not just for that, but also to allow the body to heal. So whenever you are um, dealing with a chronic illness, you're working on your health, your overall health, sleep should be a priority. It's the only time that the body uh, gets enough time to itself to actually heal. Thank you so much. Um, that's fantastic because you just brought up the thing with toxins. I didn't even realize, I didn't know that the connection between sleep and our lymphatic system. So that's, that's amazing. Um, so silly question here and correct me if I'm wrong, because I honestly do not know the answer. So then is sleep then tied into our bowel movement other than fiber of course we know the importance of fiber but we're getting we're getting quality sleep assist with our bowel movements any the circadian rhythm helps you with the bowel movements so one thing that i really notice in my practice is that when i start um helping people reset their circadian rhythm and get them on a schedule what that means is eating around the same time going to sleep and waking up around the same time and by this i mean every day not just on weekdays um, we also see that their bowel movements start occurring around the same time. So it's it's very interesting. So I don't know exactly what the mechanisms behind that are, but I do know based on my practice uh, with clients that um, whenever we work on the circadian rhythm, we start seeing that the bowel movements occur around the same time every single day. So it does have it does play a role. That's interesting because in my personal experience for myself, I use the bathroom every morning around 8.30, latest at 9 o'clock. And then it happens again around 1. And it happens, I use the bathroom about three times a day. So it happens around 1. And then I may go again later on in the evening. So and it happens around the same time, all the time, especially in the mm -hmm. morning one. The morning one is extremely consistent. And one of my, one of the things I've, one of my personal hacks is improving my sleep. I have an entire article on ZikaHealth.com um, about sleep, improving your sleep quality, resetting your circadian rhythm. Uh, by the time this episode comes out, I release an episode on um, how to get quality sleep as well for anyone who has never read that article to check those out. But my bowel movements have been extremely consistent since I've improved my sleep quality. I had no, con no idea of the connection. So thank you so much for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the body loves to be on a schedule. That's what people don't realize. The body doesn't want to be uh, surprised. It's okay if you are super healthy and you're resilient. You can get away with it. But for somebody, and I deal with a lot of chronic ill people. So that's why I always like to talk of people that are dealing with chronic issues because that's the people I work with. When you are in that, um, in that case, if you are dealing with chronic issues, you want to be on a schedule. You, don't, you do not want to surprise the body. You want to be sleeping around the same time. You want to be eating around the same time. It's the best way to heal. So, so. follow up on that because you've worked with a lot of clients to improve their sleep. So what basic tips can you give us? Um, there's so many tips, but I'll, I'll think of like a few that, are, that I always recommend. The first one would be to... And this is my most favorite one, the most important one in my book. 
to spend 20 minutes in during the sunrise and sunset outside, looking at the sun, looking at the sunset. Super important to reset the circadian rhythm, especially if you're dealing with jet lag or you've been traveling and you're just finding it hard to, you know, get that good sleep or be able to fall asleep when you want to fall asleep. So that's the fastest way. If you're still not, if you're still doing that, but that's not working for you, the second thing I'd recommend is camping. A couple of days of camping outdoors, connecting with the earth, amazing to reset the circadian rhythm. It's the fastest way to actually reset it. But not a lot of people do that. Not, not a lot of people like camping. So that'll be like the second option. Um, another thing would be to um, create a schedule. So go to bed around the same time, wake up around the same time, super important, even on the weekends. That's that's one thing that a lot of people don't do. They do get on a schedule during the weekdays because of work and everything. But once the weekend comes, they just sleep in. So I don't want you to do that. Just stay on a schedule. It's super important. Um, Another important thing would be to not eat at least three hours before bed. We don't want the body to be focusing on digestion. We want the body to be focusing on sleep and recovery. So stay away from food three hours before bed. Also alcohol. A lot of people drink alcohol before bed and they claim that it helps them fall asleep. And it might help you fall asleep. Absolutely. But the sleep quality is really going to suffer. So you don't want to be drinking alcohol before bed. Try to stay away from that. Don't drink water close to bed either because you might end up going to the bathroom a lot more often. You don't want to disrupt your sleep. Um, so those, those would be my main tips, honestly. And then supplements. I, I do like supplements, but I believe that if you cover those three, you should be good to go. Perfect. I love that. Um, I want to add on a couple of things So or elaborate on a couple of things. So with the alcohol, that's definitely true. I'm a red wine drinker. That's the only liquor that I drink, and I don't even drink a lot. But I realize through my personal um, experience, if I drink red, red wine within a couple of hours of going to bed, I will fall asleep, but I will not sleep well. And when mm -hmm. I first started doing that, I say to myself, red wine is supposed to be healthy. What's going on? But after I read the research and started you know, you know, know, looking at some videos, I realized that it can help me to fall asleep, but it does interrupt your sleep quality. So, yes. and then nutrition at night is also important. And I mentioned that in my episode, you, especially with fats and proteins, you don't want to eat those close to bed because it's so hard mm -hmm. for your body to break down. So my friends make fun of me because at about five o'clock is when I eat dinner every night, about five o'clock. Now we'll snack before bed and it's always carbs because your brain prefers glucose for sleep. So I, carbs is very easy for your body to break down in just a small amount. I'm talking about something like a fruit, sometimes uh, apple cider vinegar with some honey, something like that. Just give your brain some glucose before you go to bed. Th that's important. But fats and proteins, you want to stay away from that within you want a few hours before going to bed. Unless you're a bodybuilder and you're doing something specific and your coach is something specific, that's a different, that's not in my right. business. But for the general the average public, person. you want to stay, exactly, stay away from that. The sunlight is also important. I make sure to get sunlight when I wake up every morning. I usually hit the rising sun. If I don't get the rising sun, I go outside before nine o'clock every day. Spend at least 15 minutes or more outside. In the evening, same thing. I don't catch it as often as I should, but I do catch the evening sun and the setting sun. Sometimes I just stand and stare at it. People think I'm crazy. That what's this guy doing? He's just looking at the sun. <laughs> But I purposely do that because we all have our own vibration and the earth has a vibration We are, and we vibrate as well. We're energy beings. And by exposing yourself to the rising and the setting sun, it adjusts your vibration, which is another 
thing we can get into. But and also, and a lot of people don't realize this: spending time in the red light of the sun lowers inflammation as well. And that's why a lot of um, psychologists are using uh, red light therapy with their mm-hmm. clients because it also helps them with mental health issues, photobiomodulation, which of course you're aware of, right? Yes. So read an article on Zika.com, how to improve your sleep quality, because it's it's there's a lot that I mentioned there that Paula's mentioned as well. The, the camping is really cool because it's teaching you to reconnect with the earth and get you accustomed to the rising sun, accustomed to the falling sun can connect it to the vibration of the earth, which has a huge part of our health. Grounding is what we call it in biohacking. So um, perfect. Oh, and one more thing about supplements I mean to add. One thing I do do, if I travel outside of my time zone, or if, say, I do happen to stay up late on the weekends, which I try not to, I do take a little melatonin to reset my circadian rhythm. So I may do it Sunday night to reset it from Monday. But that's the only time that I take it. If I travel outside of my time zone, I need to reset my circadian rhythm. I'll take some melatonin. Or if uh, if I stayed up late the night before, it usually takes a couple of nights to keep my circadian rhythm out. So if it's, they say it's a repetitive thing for a couple of nights, it just rarely happens. But I would take it on a Sunday night to reset my circadian rhythm for the next day. So that can can also be helpful. But try the natural things first before you even try to take melatonin or anything else. Don't take it every yes. night again. You basically become melatonin insensitive, insensitive, which is another conversation. Um, now, we talk about sleep. How about our immune system? Because we know the importance of our immune system and our GI tract. So how are they connected? Um, there's a lot of research going on in the field. So we don't know exactly 100% what's going on. But I can tell you what we know so far. Um, 70% of the immune system resides in the GI tract which is where the microbiome also resides. The microbiome is all the genetic makeup of the organisms that live in the GI tract. And this includes bacteria, yeast, parasites even, that a lot of people don't believe, but they are there, uh, among other organisms. Now, um, during the first years of life is when the microbiome really educates the immune system and trains the immune system of what to attack and what not to attack. We don't want the immune system to attack our own body. That's autoimmunity. But we also want the immune system to be very well trained to attack pathogens, viruses, anything that is trying to invade our body and causing um, imbalances. Now, there's a theory that we have um, today that is still being studied that um, IBD, colitis, and Crohn's occurs because the immune system is attacking the friendly bacteria in the gut. We still don't understand why that's happening, but that's what we are theorizing right now. So that's what what's being studied. Um, so we don't want the immune system to do that. But we also, I also have clients that, that for example, are dealing with uh, dif- different types of um, issues. They can have Lyme disease, uh, viruses, high toxic load. And in those cases, what I find very helpful is trying to target parasites because parasites are pathogens in the body that can invade the immune system. They are very good at hiding. Um, so the immune system kind of t- turns a blind eye, doesn't see them. And we don't want the immune system to do that either. Um, so we have these two sides of the coin. And what it indicates is an imbalance in the immune system. Um, ideally, we want to we have a balanced immune system. Um, how we can do that? One way to do that is to um, improve your microbiome. So make it as diverse as possible. Um, we know that the best microbiome out there is a diverse microbiome, um, the best way to achieve that is to eat a variety of plants. Um, And I always tell people, don't focus so much on quantity. It's not about having 
so much, uh, so many different plants, so many plants in a day. It's about having a variety of plants. Um, try to shoot for 30 different plants a week. Now, this includes veggies, it includes fruits, nuts, seeds, uh, different herbs, spices that you may like, legumes. Um, so just having a variety, that's what's going to feed the bacteria in your gut. And by feeding the bacteria, we're making sure that those are they are creating postbiotics, which are the um, chemicals that they create after they feed on the fiber. And these postbiotics can be very beneficial for us. They protect the gut. Um, they help us. Um, they, they reduce our risk for cardiovascular disease. Um, they improve our cognitive function, everything. So like it's very interconnected, but we don't really know exactly 100% um, how they work together. One thing that we know though, is that um, it is during the first three to five years of life that we that the microbiome is training the immune system. So we want to make sure that we establish a very diverse microbiome in those early years of life so that we can really benefit in our adult life as well. The first three to five years, I had no, no idea. Wow. So yeah. a lot of times we grow up on honey buns and, and Mountain Dews <laughs> and Honey Nut Cheerios and all these other things. I don't know the names of a lot of processed foods because I don't eat them. But so I got to stick to the ones that, I, that I've eaten or have known in the past, but the first three to five years. So that means that our nutrition in that time frame is vital, right? Super vital. Yes. It's also super important to breastfeed the babies. That's also another important thing, like something that shouldn't be skipped. It, I understand in some cases when you just can't, but ideally, if you can breastfeed the baby, breastfeed the baby. It's super important. That's that's so amazing. And you also brought up the probiotics piece. I have this argument with people all the time. Not an argument because I tell them and I just move on because they everybody wants to take a probiotic these days. What's the best probiotic for this? What's the best probiotic for that? And I said, first of all, and Riley Romasco brought it up, a lot of these probiotics on the market are transient. They really do not colonize the gut, number one. So you're just spending money. If that's the case, just send me your money. I give you my bank account number because you just want to give your money away. Um, that's the first one. The second thing is that the best way to get probiotics is one, eating fermented foods, eating foods that are good for your guts. That's number one. And then two, feeding your probiotics. Because even if you take the best probiotics on the market and you're, pop, you're colonizing your gut, hypothetically speaking, if you don't eat fiber and a variety of fruits and vegetables, not much is really, it's not going to do you much benefit. At the end of the day, you have to eat what your body needs. And we all know that having a good gut environment is tied into your body weight as well. There is so much research where one of my favorite ones is where they had germ-free mice and they had a set of twins. And they took, one was obese, one was um, lean. And they took the bacteria from the lean twin, put it in one germ-free mice and the obese twin and put it in the germ-free mice. And the bacteria from the lean twin made the mice, kept the mice lean. And the bacteria from the obese twin made the uh, germ-free mice obese. So when they, that's when scientists started to realize hmm, there's a connection. So when I talk about eating yogurt, when I talk about drinking kombucha, when I talk about eating foods that are just naturally fermented, and it's not medicine. It's like you're not going to take it and it's going to lose weight. It's part of making sure that your body is healthy, but you still have to feed it with vegetables. So these diets say, just go on keto and be on keto for the rest of your life or go on carnivore diet, be on carnivore diet for the rest of your life. Those are so deficient in plant foods. You don't want to eat a bunch of meat and there's a little bit of plants and think you're going to be okay. Even if you look at a Mediterranean diet, which is 
highly popularized for um in the health industry. They eat a lot of variety of plants. Now, the other things you may have to do, like change the way you prepare them, you know, kill certain um to kill certain pathogens or or um anti anti nutrients and stuff like that. We all know that, but you do need to eat a variety. Yeah. The point that I wanted to make though is that probiotic supplements are not going to cause any damage. So that's one thing to put out there. Like if you take them, that's fine. But it's like you said, it's so important to eat plants because otherwise, how are you going to feed those probiotics? That's the only way to make sure that they're actually multiplying and they're creating the postbiotics, which is what we need. It's not the probiotics that we need, it's the postbiotics. But the postbiotics do not exist if there are no probiotics. So it, it's kind of like a process that we, we need to do step by step. The other thing is for people that have GI conditions, it might be a little hard to incorporate fermented foods because it can cause more bloating. So in those cases, it might be more beneficial to have some uh, probiotic instead of fermented foods, but it also depends on the type of probiotic. So when you're dealing with GI conditions, typically I would go for a spore base. Those are the ones that colonize the gut. It's not the transient ones. Um, they can also cause less GI distress. So that's one thing that I see a lot. Um, but other than that, absolutely. I think I agree with you. Food is the way to go. You can get plenty of probiotics from your diet. Um, going keto is not going to help because you're really lowering the diversity of plants that you can eat. And we don't want to do that. And it's not a long-term solution. You might want to do it maybe for a short time to see how your body reacts see how you feel, but it's not something that it's sustainable and you want to do long-term for the, for the health of your gut. I 100% agree. Thank you so much for, uh, for breaking that down and clarifying that because my audience can definitely benefit. And with all the wealth of knowledge that you've given us, is there anything else that you'd like to add that I haven't asked or we haven't discussed? Um, I don't think so. I think we covered so many different things. <laughs> Perfect. So with that being said, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Instagram will be the best way. That's how I connect with most people. Um, it might be a little hard to pronounce. It's P-A-O-L-A-X-H-U-L-I, one word. Um, so yeah, that'll be the, way, the best way to reach out to me. And today I learned that X-H-U-L-I is pronounced Julie. I had Julie in my head, That's but right. apparently I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so... Thank you so much, Paula. Of course, your um the your Instagram handle will be in the show notes, zukahealth.com slash Paula. This is gonna be zukahealth.com slash Paula X. That's really how I do my show notes. Um, so it's definitely gonna be there, and the show notes will be in the description of the podcast. It's a fantastic episode. I recommend anyone to at least reach out to Paula, have a conversation with her, learn more things about yourself because personalized is definitely the way to go. So thank you, Paula. Thank you, Narada, for have, having me. This was wonderful. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Thanks for listening to the Zico Health Show. If you got good quality content out of this episode, save, subscribe, and share it out there with family, friends, coworkers, or anybody who needs to hear this information. Remember, always take the scenic route and enjoy the ride.